Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. The second episode of my interview with Greek wine importer Dionysi Grevenitas, in which we talk about Greek wine. Let's talk about some other white grape varieties, because Greek white wine, I think, is very good, and it's kind of a contradiction because Greece is so hot that you wouldn't think that this amazing white wine could be made in the country. But I think this is where we go to the indigenous varieties because these varieties which have been grown there for centuries and have adapted to Greece's uh, warm climates and the different soils. So another great variety is Malagasia, and this is one that doesn't have the naturally high acidity of Assyrtiko. So can you describe why Malagasia works and why it makes such good wines? So Malagasia is uh, native to the mainland, the western uh, coast of Greece, fa- facing the Ionian Sea, which is a, an odd place for any grape to come from, for, from Greece, in that there's higher humidities there and more potential for, for running into problems with cultivation than uh, the vast majority of the rest of Greece. Malagasia, I think, does well because even though it's not acid-driven, I think it has a surplus of of tropical fruit. And when vinified correctly, and I would argue that maybe for the the greater part of its uh, production, which has only in any real sense gone back at most 25 years. I mean, there were certainly making Malaguzias before that, um, but not in any great uh, level. And now it caught fire and people are planting Malaguzia virtually everywhere uh, in Greece. But it has it has a surplus of, of of fruit, and Greeks tended to push the bricks too high and and harvest a little too late, and they were the wines to my palate came out a little flabby. They would accentuate the low acidity and and maybe too fruity. But when worked with correctly and picked a bit earlier than maybe what the norm is, you can bump up the acidity in the grape and have it complement that fruit in that's native to the to the variety and uh, and then it just really becomes a crowd pleaser i mean it's it's difficult not to be charmed by a glass of malagasia and so it's i think um you know more adult maybe versions or more ponderous and meditative versions of it are coming out now but i think by and large it's a great entry point to greek white wines uh, because it's not going to challenge your palate maybe as a as a, a traditional Santorini might and there will be enough in the glass from from a glass of Malawuzia that will be um, that will be reminiscent of other wines that you enjoy that your average international you know wine drinker enjoys that their mind can grasp you know you're always trying to find corollaries with varietals that you're not familiar with so you know if we're talking about Xenomavaron in northern Greece you talk about Nebbiolo when people talk about Santorini, they talk about Chablis, though I think that that's not quite true because it removes that petrol quality from the varietal. It's some, to me, it's some sort of odd blend of Chardonnay from Chablis, but also Mosul Riesling and also Chenin Blanc somehow, you know, because it has more stuffing as well. With Malagos, yeah, you don't have to try so hard. It's just there's something about um, drinking a glass um, that allows you to be disarmed and, and enjoy it for what it is. And I think that's that's where the strength of the varietal lies. I have one of the wines that you import. So Domain, I'm going to mispronounce this, I think. Zafirakis. Perfect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the Microcosmos. And this is, when I tasted this wine for the first time, 
It's just so aromatic and so pretty and so floral. And as you said, um, very charming. It just immediately draws you in. But it's not flabby on the palate. I was expecting it maybe it would be a bit too kind of lush, but it's got that freshness to it. And I think it's that fruitiness that just coats the palate and makes it very engaging and, as you say, charming. But it's not... Um, it's not a throwaway wine. It's still got some seriousness and some depth to it. No, certainly not. And Christos Zafirakis is um, making a lot of waves with that, with his Malagujas, because he harvests quite a few days, maybe even a couple weeks before other people in Greece do. And by the way, he's in Thessaly, which is landlocked. It's a low elevation. It's literally one of the hottest places, maybe the hottest place in Greece. Uh, no sea breeze comes in because it's surrounded by mountain ranges and it's not a natural place for you to think to get a sort of delicate and refined wine. But, um, you know, he told me in confidence, though, I'll share it here, um, that, you know, Malaguzia has fruit to spare when it's a green unripe berry, it would seem. So it doesn't make any sense to him to let it hang overly long. And so he harvests quite early. And then also the terroir under you know, under his winery and in his vineyards is a specific place that has, it's an ancient seabed, basically, when Mount Olympus and Mount Osa separated on the coast, Thessaly, which was an inland sea, basically emptied out into the Aegean. But what was left was a sort of lake bottom, silty soil. And then years after that, a river ran through that particular area, depositing a lot of minerals and a lot of flint. And so there's a high mineral component to that soil which I think the the wines express, uh, much like when we talk about Condrieu, you know, the acidity of, of Viognier and Condrieu is not any higher than Viognier in, that we might get in California, which is not as as effective. But it's the it's the interplay of the of the varietal with those granitic soil types that impart a kind of false acidity on the palate, a false reading of the palate, and it lets you think that you have a, a lower pH and a higher acidity uh, with Viognier, and that's what makes Contreau the appellation for Viognier, right? And I would I would posit that that's probably true uh, with Malagosia, that soil types are, are important and pick dates are important. Yeah, it's interesting because a member of South African producer telling me that his Chenin Blanc had a perception of freshness, even though the pH wasn't that low, and it's about the soil type and it's about the characteristics of the grape variety. And I think... With white wine, acidity is so important because it's the structure of the wine. And it is fascinating that wines like these that don't naturally have high acidity still have that freshness and still have that structure. So maybe it's a combination of the soil and just the character of the grape variety. And maybe the, the history of the grape variety being there as well. So the button-up Malagosia for you, I mean, it was a variety that really wasn't known at all um, in Greece 30, 40 years ago. And then it was planted in a domain of northern Greece, Porto Caras, and then taken by... Uh, a young oenologist there, Yero Vasiliu, who started his own winery in the 80s, and, and he really ran with it. And it, it just caught fire in Greece, and they started planting it uh, everywhere. But there's no, like, appellation of origin for Malaguzia. Where it's originally from, for instance, doesn't have it planted, uh, or and there's no uh, there's no PDO for it. Okay, so it's more of a rediscovery uh, for Greek winemakers. What other white grape varieties do you think are important in Greece that people should know about? Well, when Greece started a sort of marketing board to market Greek uh, wines to the United States, they had, uh, and this has nothing to do with me, I'm just kind of talking history here. 
they had identified two whites and two reds that they wanted to be like ambassador grapes to the rest of the world. Sirtigo was a no-brainer because of Santorini. And then they picked Moscofilero. Moscofilero is a varietal that's planted in the Peloponnese. It has its own PDO, uh, Mantinia. Mantinia is a, is a high plateau of around 700 meters. It's funny because I think they've come to regret <laughs> picking that. I and mean, they picked it because, you know, it has a historical place and they felt that it's a high acid white wine and it could be uh, marketable. But I don't know, you know, to what degree some of these are just market considerations versus, you know, a clear understanding of what quality wine is. And so I think they came to regret it. But here's the weird thing for me. I think that they came to regret it and they're wrong for regretting it. I think they backed into making that decision and there's something really, really there. I work with a producer, Trupus, and, um, you know, we've been playing around with Moscofilero, which is a Gris grape. It's a, a pink skin grape and Greece for some reason has to have, seems to have a, a plethora of, of Gris grapes like Roditis and Sideritis among, amongst others. And the knock on Moscofilero is it's almost kind of too light. Again, you're up in a high plateau. Generally, you're getting wines of 12% alcohol, maybe 12 and a half. Now with global warming, in an odd way, global warming and for some Appalachians has had a positive effect in Greece because most of most of the Appalachians are actually quite uh, mountainous and high elevation. And now you're kind of getting uh, another face to Moscofilero. Its general characteristics are it's highly aromatic. Mosco actually means aromatic in the root word. And, uh, and so there's a sort of wildflower, almost kind of a potpourri rose petal thing going on. But the wines, at least in the past 30 or 40 years, were made in a rather thin way. High acid, aromatic, but maybe not much there. Now, with global warming and some other things like a little bit of skin contact, I think that uh, Moscofilero is an amazing wine. We've had some uh, an amazing grape, and we've had some uh, great success with a kind of skin contact Moscofilero, a Romato of a Moscofilero, if you will, in the market here. And if you do some lees aging and um, some skin contact and maybe harvest a little bit later, and now that it's a little warmer, I think that um, you get quite an impressive wine uh, out of Moscofilero. So it's weird that you know, the marketing board went with it, then, then <laughs> maybe you decided it wasn't a good idea. Uh, I'd argue that uh, it's a great idea. I, I, uh, I encourage everyone to try a Moscofilero from, say, Trupus or any other, you know, Telepos or uh, any other producer of note uh, from that appellation. And then, of course, Robola is making some waves, not to be confused with Ribola Gialla from, from Friuli, but Robola from the island of Kefalonia, uh, Kefalonia, if you want me to kind of anglicize it a little, in the Ionian Sea. And that is, a, I think, on the heels of Assyrtigo is another just noble variety. It has um, good acidity. It's planted on pure limestone scree, which is a like, loose rubble. The Venetians who occupied and, and ran this part of Greece for the better part of 400 years used to call these wines vino di sasso, or wine wine of the stone, because there's no topsoil to, 
the root systems for these bush vines are just cracking down into pure limestone. And the Rebola really is a vector for that. I mean, you, you taste, it tastes like you're, you're licking a wet rock uh, when you're drinking that. And like all things, I think the terroir focused versions of Rebola where you're not working overly reductively, where you're doing some lees aging, uh, when you're allowing the, uh, the wine to be what it wants to be, I think uh, then you begin to marry a certain weight in the mid palate that matches that, that minerality and the acidity in the grape. And so uh, Robola is an absolute must if you, if you want to try Greek white wine. Yeah, it's funny. I had Moscow Falero down as a grape to talk about, and then I decided not to because I haven't had many interesting um, examples of it. <laughs> well, Moscow Falero was kind of brought to the U.S. market by Butari, and Butari was one of the five large kind of super wine companies that came out of the 19th into the 20th century. Tandali, Butari, Kambas... Klaus, Kutaki. You know, coming out of the Ottoman phase of, of Greece's history, wine production was at a really low level, uh, really on the village level. Whatever wine industry uh, was there, which had a long history going all the way back to antiquity, um, was really decimated by that period of time. And so Greece gains its independence, and that's a whole process which takes you know, 100 years to, to really flesh out from the first rumblings in, in the Peloponnese uh, up until the end of World War One. You have lo- five large companies buying grapes from everywhere, crushing, making bulk wine, and that's what it is. Butari invested in creating a, a Montenegro label. I'm not sure exactly the date on that, but virtually everyone came to Montenegro and Moscow Filler through the Butari bottling. As step one, it was fine, but maybe only as far as that, right? And I think that you once you grow out of those types of wines and get more into the character of full wines, then then you're then you're cooking with gas, as it were. Yeah, so that kind of summarizes the story of Greek wine because that development from kind of basic wine to really high quality wine is just still developing, isn't it? And that sums up in that great variety going from inexpensive to actually quite interesting wines where winemakers understand what they're working with and how they can make uh, good wine. In the next episode on this uh, Focus on Greek Wine, we'll look at the red wines of Greece, which are also fantastic. Thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.